0: Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Off The Record. Uh, Last week we spoke in depth about vinyl reissues and a bunch of other good stuff and we're excited to keep the conversation going this week with some new topics. You can find us at offtherecord.fm for any news about the show and show notes as well to keep updated with the podcast episodes. Uh, So last week or two weeks ago a friend of mine who runs a Blog for Holix, a video, uh, a music streaming site, published an article uh, about basically college in the music industry. Uh, so that rings very true to my heart because I am in the music industry and I go to college. Uh, and so there's a lot of different points of views basically about is college worth it? What should you go to college for? Uh, how, what should you be doing while you're in college if you if you want to be in the music industry? Uh, so. Heads up! I do go to college for a music industry program, uh, which a lot of people think is a joke. <laughs> do you think that's a joke, Jesse? Well, as a graduate of it with a music
1: business and a uh, what do you call it, recording engineer degree, I think it's a joke. Yes, uh, I've, yeah. I've been out of college now for seventeen years. Is that, I think this is, is the right number. And uh, really, just showing the age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, could you can't see gray hairs on podcasts. Um, <laughs> But uh, I've never it's never done a single thing for me in 17 years of working in this business. And I've worked, you know, I've not just been a record producer. I've been a manager. I've worked at a record label. I've been a concert promoter for years. I've worked at the top freeform radio station. i worked at the top mastering house. And the funny thing with me when I worked at the top mastering house is Alan Douches, who I worked for at West West Side, said he actually didn't want to hire me because he doesn't like to hire people from recording school. Because it gives you an entitlement And I think, you know, now that I'm somebody who hires people, I think he's right that a lot of people who go to these schools feel entitled because they pissed away, you know, thousands of dollars and they went for a time and they feel like they're owed something when really you walk out of there with very useless knowledge for the most part.
0: Yeah, I think that's actually a good way to look at it. Uh, So in my case, I go to Drexel University. Uh, Drexel is one of the top five most expensive schools in the country. Uh, And that hurts So You know In our music industry program How it works is We're split into basically two groups There's a music business track And there's an audio engineering track Uh, My grade for example Is about 50 kids let's say Uh, And you know You go to school for four years And it's an insane amount of money Uh, Just think of what any college tuition would be But more expensive And then you know just I think kind of like any other possible job field in America right now, and that's a whole other conversation we shouldn't get into but you know you you end up leaving college and it's like well, I just trained to go in the music industry, but the music industry more than potentially any other field doesn't really hire uh based off of degree which i th- which is kind of the most interesting thing right yeah. about it like well and, 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 but but also rightfully so. Oh, I totally totally agree. And that's why it's really interesting, I guess, that there are all these programs for music industry when even if you were to ask some of the professors at my school, they're going to tell you, I I am not your teacher because I went to school. I am your teacher because I was very experienced and was successful in whatever kind of business I was in in the music industry. And now they hired me to tell you about that, basically. You know, it's like it's a very funny thing. I think. Yeah. And well, um, I, I, so I, I think, you know, as somebody who
1: now I've been hiring people now, I think I hired my first employee a decade ago. Um, and it is that thing of like, you know, you get out of recording school and you have nothing. And, you know, a lot of kids write me for advice about what they should do about this, like whether they should go to school or not. And like, so like, you know, obviously it's weird for me to say, because I went to school for it and I get to say, no, you shouldn't go to school for it, but it's never done me any good. And secondly, I learned more in the first three months I worked at a recording studio than I did in, you know, two years of uh, school. And, you know, we're in an age, like, um, I'm really into a, like a lot of these books that talk about like you don't have to ask permission for anything these days. Like I think like the guy from Reddit wrote one and then uh, Derek Sivers wrote one, but like you can just start doing any of this stuff anytime you want. You don't need to go to school and you know, not to be gratuitous, but like I wrote a book that's curriculum for two colleges now um, compulsory reading. And it's like, you know, that thing of like you, I don't want to be like that self-promotion guy, but you read my book and about two other ones. You're kind of good to go. If you want to do a lot of things in the music business. And just start think, doing them. Yeah. Start inserting.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I do think there are other points that I disagree on, but to that point, like when I, whenever I am asked about to do like an email interview for someone's like class project or something about that, there's always a question that's how, like, how would you recommend me to, like, how how could I be on the best track to do something potentially successful for myself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And my answer to that is always just like, like you were saying about some of those books. It's just like you just literally have to do it, you know. And yeah. there's not necessary. There's no. There's no way for anyone to tell you how to be successful in that kind of realm, you know. Uh, and that's kind of. There are tons of books that will tell you how to be successful for probably anything in life, but like rarely any of those things are accurate because, especially in the music industry, that's just not how it works. There's no there's no uh, guarantee to success. You just have to do what you want to do and do it well and do it smarter than someone else is doing. And that's not something that that's like, I can say that to someone, but that like they'll either grasp that or they won't, but if they grasp it, there's also no like guarantee that that's going to help them. Right. Because Mm. you still have to be smarter or better or more focused or, or find more talented people to work with. Right, right. So, yeah. where, I, where I do yeah. think I disagree with you, though, is that, well, so I'm, like I said, I'm obviously in college right now. Uh, I don't think I've truly necessarily learned anything in the programs I'm in, let's say, but college is an interesting time. So, for me, where my experience about college is best off is that. It's like a purgatory to me. I have four. I have a four-year uh, waiting period, right? And so what I've done to take advantage of that, within like the first few months of freshman year, I was like, look, I got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my Jewish mother said, you can't get out of here. And I said, please let me get out of here. And once again, she was like, no, I'm your Jewish mother. You can't get out of here. Um, so starting then, I was kind of like, well, what am I going to do? Because I'm miserable. Yeah. And I was still I had the website and that was in its infancy still, but going very well. And I loved that. And of course I wanted to still do that. But where where I started taking advantage of being in school was not what can I learn or how can I get the most out of this teacher. It was kind of like, what can I do in these four years where I can enable myself by the time I graduate to set myself up to being in a position where I am happy with my own successor direction. And that definition is different for anyone, but for me, it's am I doing what I want to be doing? Also, am I making, you know, the bare minimum amount or more of hopefully money to sustain what I like doing? Uh, and that, that I think is like the most important thing when it comes down to sort of college and the music industry, because you don't want to be in that perpetual state of interning. And we'll talk about that in a little bit where you are sort of, uh, you graduate from college and then you need to intern for another two or three years and then probably still not get like a real really great job in the music industry you know what I mean so yeah. for me I don't know for me it's been it's been great I don't I don't like going to school I, I hate it I wish I could just have four years where I didn't need a real job you know but it like college is fake it's a fake world so you might as well take it to your advantage in my mind at least in in terms of What can I do in this four-year period of time, where I can set myself up for something else? So I think these are all great
1: points. Um, So there's two thoughts I have of this. So one, one of the more interesting things. So for my background, I was producing records already for like a lot of like the New York Mohawk punk bands of the day. You know, since we were more real punks than you know you kids are now. And uh, yeah, I'm fake punk. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's be honest here. And uh, but uh, um, the year that I did the most the majority of my courses in college was the year I produced the least amount of records in my life Um, because I was too too burnt out. I was also working at a club promoting shows and doing sound at night and working at a radio station. So I had a lot going on that year, too. But like, you know. I lost my passion for it because it became like my shitty job, and like, right? I, you know, I think I produced three records that year. And I had done produced thirty-five when I was eighteen and in high school, um, the year before. Um, but the other thing I will say is I am not anti-college. What I am is anti-music business college. I think I told m- um, Mike, my co-owner and co-producer at uh, our studio, I, like he was in college when he started working for me. I said, get out of your music business program, get out of your audio engineer program and go
0: start doing a business degree. You get a business degree. Okay, yeah. So that's the yeah, that's the interesting angle. Go on. Like, yeah, yeah so I, you, I totally agree with you.
1: You get a business degree. Um, yeah, t- if you if you tell like if you have a business degree from a good school, like let's say Drexel, and you go to a bank and say, I wanna open a business where I throw pies in people's faces, they're like, Cool, a business degree from Drexel, here's a hundred thousand dollars. Like, you can get a loan for right. anything when you have a business degree. And in all reality, if most jobs in the music business, the mo- the best skill you can have, like, it's the same thing for when I hire interns, too. Know how to use a, a, a spreadsheet, know how to do some basic accounting things. You're worth more than any music business program. Take some music business electives, but get a business degree instead, not a music business degree.
0: I'm yeah, done. I, I fully agree. <laughs> No, I fully agree. It's interesting, too. So I, I had, well, I applied. So for Drexel, Drexel's a weird school in that you have to apply to basically the program you want to be in, which is great for an 18 year old in high school saying that he needs to know what he wants to do uh, the day he steps into school for the rest of his life. But uh, I, I agree in the sense that the way well, that f-
1: didn't you know what you wanted to do at an early age?
0: Yeah, but I'm weird. Like, I, I'm the... Maybe, maybe, we're, maybe outlier, we're both right? weird. I, I, I,
1: well, I mean, I think of it this way. I've been doing... Uh, I started producing records at 15, and I'm 36 now, so I've been doing it for 21 years. But I know a lot of people who knew what they wanted to do at 15, 16 years old. I think that... I don't think that's weird. I, most I of the people I, I know anyone. knew what they
0: wanted to do. That's interesting. I don't think I know anyone. I think it's even less, like... I don't know if it's an age thing or not, but I think it's even less going forward now. It's like, no one... Very few people I know like know what they want, huh? To I, I, do everything I've done in my life. I knew I wanted to do it around
1: 15 years old. Like whether it was writing a book or um, being a record producer, I knew I wanted to do all this stuff um, already. So that's I, I mean, okay. So anyway, I was more curious.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so I, don't know, I just think it's interesting that. Right, th- not interesting. I just think that the proper thing to do if we're talking about like the music industry is that you're not like. I don't know. And te- when it comes down to like a business kind of program for the music industry, and that's what I'm in, I'm not learning how to. I don't know. Account. I'm learning dumb things that are not really real in practice in the music industry, which is kind of the best part about it. Uh, in terms so, of so 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 so,
1: g- g- give an example of what
0: that is. I'm curious. Um, so, well, a good example of where this is wrong is like, I have a class now and it's a booking class and we are emailing promoters, uh, to get holds for bands and stuff. And I think, I don't think that's bad. Like, I think that's great. I don't like, if you're, if you're going to actually want to become a booking agent, you should probably be doing this already in your own by junior year of college. But in theory, like that's, (laughs) that's a truly hands-on thing. Right. And so that's like a, I give that like a check mark right? But mm-hmm. then I have classes where, uh, all right, so I have a recording business class. And so that basically explains to you just ev- like every, what all these deals are. And, but they're kind of just outdated in the sense, right? So if you're going to step into like, if you have a band now and you're going to step into a major labels office, right? And that's like what the perspective it's from. But so much of it is just kind of like, that's not really how it works. And so it, it worked, I think, <clears throat> when a lot of these teachers 20 years ago were maybe doing a deal with a band, right? But like, it's not 20 years ago anymore. And I and I think probably with many college curriculums in any sort of, in any nature, it takes a while for the curriculum to catch up to the present day. But yes, obviously with yes. the music industry, like, sh- like, shit is just changing. And that, that's, that's good or bad, depending <laughs> on how you look at it, but that's... It doesn't necessarily fit in with college too well uh, so a, a lot of these classes are either just kind of like basic information which I guess is helpful but it's not, also not something you're necessarily retaining uh, like it, there are classes on publishing and, and stuff like that and that's great that was actually the only thing I really have learned that I've used in practice is a publishing class and I took that into advantage when we had to figure out publishing for the acceptance record for bad timing and that was great mm-hmm. And I was like wow yeah took two and a half years but something something paid off right yeah I, uh, I, I but otherwise I le- it's just a lot of it's filler I learned how to uh fix
1: equipment and solder really well in college and that was about the only thing I learned that was useful and
0: uh everything else that was there I already knew um because I'd already so, been doing so it me, for three the, years to me the business track is kind of dumb but at Drexel at least the the recording track I think is great i don't know what they're necessarily taught but what's great about it in my mind is that uh the students who are in that recording half of the major like they get studio access for free and you know drexel because they are a very expensive college has multi-million dollar studios so for example like modern baseball go to drexel and they've recorded both of their last two albums for like free you know so i don't know if i were if i were that sounds great to me (laughs) but that that that, that's great but a lot different
1: The amount of hours you get doing that don't seem to pay off compared to how many hours you could spend just learning that recording software if you just did it on your own. And yeah, sure, being in a multi-million-dollar studio is cool and it's fun to be around an SSL and all that fun stuff. But like, you know, the real reality of it is, is like, you know, when I'm hiring somebody, um, I want to hire somebody who's proficient in Pro Tools, and then when I explain drum editing, they get it in five minutes, not in five hours. And uh, I think that's that's one of the biggest things, too, is that, you know, so, like, when I went to college, uh, Pro Tools didn't exist yet. And by the time I got my first job in a recording studio... Uh, it was like that funny thing of like, I walked in and I was, you know, I knew how to edit tape and all this fun stuff. And we were still doing records on tape at that time. But like, there was a pro Tools system. And I was kind of useless because I didn't know how to use it quite yet, even though I had Cubase at home. But I sat and learned Cubase for a while. And then all of a sudden, I became really valuable. And then I got a job because I knew it better than the other interns I was competing against, because I was doing the work at home. And that was
0: more valuable work. Yeah, um, that's, so yeah, I don't also uh, Your side uh, of things are way more hands on in a level yeah, sense as well.
1: So, I, I like, you know, I say it all the time. Like, I answer the question on Reddit, I answer it whenever I get email. Because, you know, on another side note, anybody who's listening to this who's past this point, I think it should be a law that if a kid asks you for advice, you have to answer within a few days. Um, but I, I say it like I think recording school is the most horrible, not valuable thing that you can do with your time. I think it's just a total waste of time and money. And the thing we're also not discussing about this, and I guess you're not to the stage of yet, is that having a student loan and then having to get an internship or not being paid much or trying to afford New York rent with a student loan on top of it is not a fun time in life. And I've watched a lot of people who go, well, maybe I can't do do the music business and I have to do something else because – I just got this music business degree, but I can't afford to pay off how much it cost me. And that's a real thing, especially, you know.
0: Yeah, that's a great, great point. Like, the tuitions are madly expensive, right? Like, so if you were to go to Drexel today, like you were a freshman enrolling for the 2014, 2015 year, you have to live on campus, you have to have a meal plan. And let's say you had no financial aid, your tuition could be upwards of 70 grand a year, which is like. Which and you know, multiply that by four and then think about how long that could take to pay off after you graduate with interest and with everything and with a shitty paying job in the music industry. Yeah, like it it could cost upwards of sixty to seventy grand a year to be in college. Uh in a in a field that notoriously is not very high paying and is more about passion and hopefully money long term and stuff like that, but you know, if you multiply sixty times four, and then think of how much, how long it's going to take to pay that off with interest, and then of course, just practical things like you need to pay rent, you need to eat, you know, etc. Uh, it's kind of like it is the largest growing like black hole in the world, right? Like that that you you don't you don't get to see that money you make because it's crazy high, crazy high lo- uh, debts or loans uh, potentially. So. That's a really good point and a really scary thing, too, especially if your degree isn't necessarily practical, like a music business or production degree.
1: Yeah, or like, you know, women's studies or something or philosophy these days where, you know, you, you see this insane amount of unemployment of people who paid $200,000 in college fees. The other interesting thing, I think, too, is is like I don't know a lot of people who get who work in what they got their degree in. Like my father was an American history Degree and he worked in uh, what do you call it advertising? Like getting a degree, sometimes it's also just the thing of that's your pass for something, and you get a degree from Drexel, you can do a lot of things. But yet again, get it in something practical and learn some really practical skills. And like, you know, you go to school for restaurant management you're probably going to learn a lot of the skills that you that are there for band management as well, which is why you see so many people when they leave the music business and they get sick of it, they go into restaurant management. It's the same skill set.
0: That's a good observation.
1: Uh, I, 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 see, I, uh, I, I true, see it all the time since, you know, obviously I have a lot of um, aging musician friends who've been getting out of the business as they get old and their bands can't make money anymore and that's what they all
0: go into probably a good time for our first sponsor break uh we would like to thank limited run for sponsoring again uh this week's episode of off the record limited run is an easy to set up direct to fan solution for labels and artists uh if you want to sign up go ahead and you'll be selling whatever you want to sell within just uh, minutes through both paypal and credit limited run specializes in great features like cart limiting uh digital street date solutions and Digital, digital and physical bundles, and a bunch more. Uh, digital Street Date allows you to sell digital with vinyl as a pre-order, and the digital release will be automatically delivered by email to your fans on the street date of an album, uh, and you can upload a lossless file and let your fans uh, choose whatever format they'd like to listen. Uh, Limited Run's a great platform. Check it out at limitedrun.com, and thank you for sponsoring Off the Record this week. Great. So, uh, a good follow-up conversation I thought to sort of college is uh interning because interning is uh sort of goes hand in hand with music business and also just general uh world jobs, but uh an interesting article popped up last week just talking about why the music industry sort of uh doesn't necessarily respect or help nurture the future and the ones that make it possible. Uh Jesse, do you, have, do you have interns at the studio? So the interesting
1: thing about the timing of this is um, my last intern starts next week, and I'm not taking interns anymore. Um, I have... Why that decision? I don't get enough value out of when I train somebody. Um, by the time they're useful to me, they're done and they want to go back to their own studio and just do their own thing. And so it's not useful to me anymore to have an intern um because by you know they learned drum editing they learned uh what do you call it uh how to tune a vocal they learned you know maybe some midi editing and then they're like cool i'm just gonna go sit and record my own band now see you later and it's not worth it to me so the intern i have this time like i made the exception is like you know he seemed like a great kid and he's also interested in both like the type of stuff i write about and recording um but I don't know that I want one anymore. And I'm, while I think it's very important to bring people in and mentor them, and I had some great mentors. You know, I, I live a very weird uh, life in that of a producer. That I a lot of what I do is mixing and mastering, and so you know, I like to wake up when I want to wake up, and I don't want to have to tell an to like, "Hey, see you at eleven o'clock." When you know, I might have had a good date and stayed up all night the night before. And I don't want to go to work till 2 PM and I'm just kind of tired of it. And so I'm a little over that, but so
0: how long have you had, how long have you had interns for like before this has it been off and on? Or has it been pretty steady for X amount of years? I've had steady
1: interns. There was one year. I'm not kidding you. When I had a hundred interns in a year, uh, it's been 11 years that I've been doing this. Um, and uh, so that's an interesting
0: decision, obviously, to break it to break. it. Yeah,
1: it's just, not, like, you know, it's been so many years that it hasn't been valuable um, to me that I ha- like it just, you know, and like I had some great ones this year and some great kids. But like, it's just, you know, everybody now can go home and record and it's just not useful to me. Um, if I was still managing bands, that would be different. Like the ba- kids I had helping me when I was managing Man Overboard and Transit were amazing and they got like tons of work done i didn't want to do like anybody who manages a band knows you don't want to have to enter your ascap bmi csac publishing info that's the boringest thing on earth is up it's
0: really honestly it's really a terrible terrible yeah it's the worst i i oh yeah that was the most maddening thing i've actually had to done do while managing bands within the last Fourteen months or whatever. This, this is, wow, that was this bad. Is, this is, Thanks for bringing yeah, that up. Yeah,
1: this is why you need an intern <laughs> to never do it again, and let let yeah. them do that. And, you know let them do that. Let them write form let form letters to blogs if you're doing your own press. Like you know, I'd have the interns basically just do everything I didn't want to do it. But as a recording engineer, it's just not worth it. If I you know, um, doing research for the next book I'm doing. There's tons of things I could utilize, and that's why I'm excited to have this intern that starts next week. But uh, if it, it weren't for that, I would definitely not have an intern.
0: So after that, do you supplement it by just uh, – like what What about the duties of the intern? Like how do you supplement that in terms of not having interns anymore? Uh, there's no duties. Or does it really I, I, maybe not make that I, much of yeah, a difference? Yeah, I
1: just don't miss them. You know, we have a, a really tight system. So my studio is also a little different in that um, I have a co-producer I do every record with. I'm not like that sole record producer. Um, Mike Ottinger is, was my intern. Um, the year I had 100 interns, what I would just do is I would um, tell people to come to the studio. I wouldn't do an interview. I'd say, just come hang out for a day and see how it goes. And, you know, literally in a year. So if you think about this, every other day, pretty much, I had an intern come by in this year. And I just would see who feels good in the room, who behaves themselves properly, who was useful and who was enthusiastic and who kept calling back. And Mike kept calling back. And now he's co-owner of the studio. Um, so there is a way to do this and have a job. but And there is that possibility. But you have to be good. And if you think of it this way, the other 99 were pretty much awful.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's hard to get, I mean, it's always hard to get a good person regardless of paid or not paid or or anything. Alan Alan Um,
1: Douches, who I started off as an intern with at West West Side Music, always had a great saying. He's like, you know, the reason you hate all your interns is because look what they did. Like, you know, most people will just go and do it themselves. If they really want to do it, they're not going to look for a job somewhere. They're just going to start doing it and make it happen, kind of like what you're doing while you're still in college, and the other thing is, if they're really good, they're going to take all your clients. And there's some kind of, there's <laughs> kind of some truth to that because, truth be told, like a lot of the people I assisted for and I interned for, their clients now come to me.
0: Yeah, that's a thing about. Yeah, it's a different business compared to what you're doing with what I'm doing, and uh, in, in, in terms of clientele yes. like that. So for. For the website, uh, so for anyone that doesn't know, Property Zach is primarily me in the sense that if you see a news post, I I made that news post. However, uh, we also have a bunch of like uh, self-made content, so that could range from interviews to reviews to discussions and a bunch of other stuff. Um, a- a- essays really on music business writer. things. So essays on music business. Uh, Jesse's an intern of yes. ours. Uh, Thirty six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh so so, you know, I post all the news, but we have a bunch of content, some of which I partake in, but I would say most of which I actually don't. And so how, where does that come from? We have a team we have a team, but they're all volunteer based. Uh so Properties Act does make some income for me, but it's not a lot. It's not a livable wage. Uh so it's not really feasible to sort of pay, pay out X amount of volunteers to uh you know, work work for the website. Uh, all, places like Alternative Press, they are a, you know, they have a large office and they have a monthly magazine for twenty six or twenty seven years, and they have uh, more online revenue and stuff like that. So they don't. Uh, I'm sure they have interns, but for example, they have a large staff, of course, and they are all paid. But so the level that properties act is at, and the reach that we have, it's not really financially feasible. So. Our team of writers, or photographers, or video people, et cetera, they're all volunteer based, um, and that's been a that's been like an interesting thing. I, I, you know, everyone that volunteers for the website, I'm sure, would obviously love to be paid. Uh, however, it's all volunteer based because they either, I think, like most people, look at it in the sense of we just love doing this. We have a job, so there's there's a the, there's a part there's a portion that or maybe a little older out of college that have a real job, but they just love writing. So they want to write. Uh, There's the portion that are in college. They want to see if they like this and maybe it looks good on their resume. Right. And that's cool. And then there's the portion that just like being a part of something like this. And, you know, it's, it's of course understood that you are a volunteer. Um, but you know we have gotten backlash from that over the years from certain people. Like I, I you know, I've had conversations with people at All Press and other uh, established companies that are publishing work that people get paid for. You know, uh, and I would love to pay everyone, like I said. But it's that's um, an interesting thing, and and those are considered I, in a sense. I mean, I don't consider them interns, and I don't think anyone. Who's a volunteer is considered an intern, but at the same time they're doing volunteer work potentially for a better uh, option at a at a job. Um, so Jesse, I know you said that you you're going to obviously stop with recording, but you do think interning is very much. I mean, you think it's good for the employer, but do you also think it's very worthwhile for the? Well, intern? yes, uh, absolutely. Like, so think of it this way: I came up,
1: I wrote for Maximum Rock and Roll. Punk Planet and Tape Up, which, you know, kind of were, you know, the print form of a property of Zach um, in some way, like back in the day. And like, you know, I grew up in zine culture and those zines got me the clout to get other jobs and it really did help. And I guess the thing I should also say is, yes, interning is great for you and you should do it and you should start meeting people and doing real things if you're in college or not. If you're in high school, I interned all through high school. I think I started interning at 15 at um, a studio that had uh, that did like the Big Fuji's record and everything. And uh, you know, you want to get start being around and making contacts and seeing the real world thing that's not the fake thing you read in magazines. But the other thing too is like what you mentioned, is it worth it for employers? One of the biggest things I see is people don't know how to utilize interns. Like, they just give them terrible, stupid jobs, and they're afraid of showing them real things because they're afraid of their own job becoming obsolete and afraid of the secrets. And I think that you should never be afraid of that, and you should give interns real work to do. I've never made an intern make me coffee. I can make my own coffee. I have them do real things, not take out the garbage.
0: Um... You probably know how you like your coffee made better than they. Do yes, well. exactly. And
1: I think that, that there's like there's been bad uh, information given out over the years um, to people of like how you're supposed to treat an intern that they just do these terrible jobs. When really, no. If you get a good intern and you interview and you find the right person, they're capable of doing tons of things that are very very useful to you, and not just
0: the excuse me the jobs you hate to do. Right, uh, and. So I interned once. I've only had one internship. I at this point in my life, I've decided. Well, I don't really necessarily have time for an internship, but also I would be a terrible uh, employee at this point in my life. I think. Yes, I'm unhirable, I think. Uh, so, but I, so I had that internship. I interned for a company called Crush. I think we talked about that maybe on an earlier episode. But they are, a, you know, they're they're a very large management company, and they manage bands like Fall Out Boy and Train, uh, for example. And so my summer there was kind of in limbo. I didn't really enjoy it. Everyone there was great, but I didn't really enjoy it just because I didn't really like doing what I was being, what I what what I was being instructed to do. And however, I learned a lot about just the conversations that people there much more experienced and much more smart, you know, much smarter than me were having. Uh, so I, I, you know, like I, part of this article that we're going to link to in the show notes that uh, you can find at FM, or sort of like, you know, it's good to have a bad internship potentially, you know, not bad in the sense that they only asked me to make coffee, but it's good to, you know, it's good to sort of find out what you don't want to do. And that's a value in itself to me. Um, and especially like we were obviously talking about in the first segment of the show with college, it it kind of blows my mind that, you know, there are 50 other students in my program next to me and definitely over half of them either are not interning during the school year or have you know or don't have like a other job that's related to the music industry as well you know and like I was saying before college has been uh, beneficial to me because I use it as like this purgatory four-year period where I can get a lot of work done for after college like you should take advantage of your time and not like if you have four years in college to me like if you're in a city or like a place that has physical interning places or you can find things online, like you should be doing that, right? Yes. Like it's crazy to me that there are so many people that I go to school with every day that it's just like, you know, after school, they are not working on whatever internship because they don't have are yeah, like, play- Dude, you're in, like, for me, it's like you're in Philadelphia. Like you can find They're, something,
1: they're playing video games you know? and social networking instead of doing it. But that's part of the passion thing is that you have to want this enough that you want, you know, you want this enough that you get done with school and you just keep working. And that's the thing is if you're not passionate about it, you don't do that. And the funny thing is is passion is yeah, what people want to hire.
0: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing I wanted to hit on in terms of uh, volunteers for websites like PropertyZack or you know Absolute Punk is – it's kind of, whenever I get into debates or, you know, more heated conversations about like, well, it's not ethical or whatever, whatever word you want to throw in there to having unpaid volunteers is that, you know, there are potential upsides. Like our friend Thomas Nassif is a great example, right? Like he, inter- he and he entered, he was a volunteer and still is Rap Absolute Punk for four or five years. And then he got a great job in New York at Fuse, you know, and, and that happened because he put in a ton of work and he got his name out there and he met all sorts of people and you know there is you know for everyone that says anything bad about interning you know there's like there's a really good counterpoint you know there's always going to also be someone that didn't get burned that really worked and was passionate and and got what they want um it's a little hard for me just because i don't have copious amounts of experience interning but at the same time, like I see people around me that intern for places and they either love it or they hate it. But most of that time they still find a lot of substance of value in it. And I think, I think potentially like interning for a larger corporation of a music industry thing. So maybe like a very popular, uh, something like live nation may not be as interesting as interning for something on a smaller level where, that company may need you more yeah. you know what i mean like live nation they do everything for example i would imagine they do everything in a very corporate way because that's how their company has to be structured but instead like interning for r5 r5 is a smaller yeah 20 year old version of right and philadelphia it's very grassroots very like i don't want to say it's more of a you know, it's not like a corporate stooge kind of thing, and so they need more help, right? They they have specific purposes, but for something where it's larger, like Live Nation, there's potentially less of an identity for what you need. Um, I th- I think that's sort of also the difference. Yeah,
1: I mean, if we're if we're gonna impart any advice on interning, is yeah, you want to find. I agree. A smaller outfit's going to be teach you more, and um, I think there is something even too that you know. You were kind of hitting on this of that, like the idea of that, like try with your internship, maybe not exactly what you want to do, but something you think you may want to do and then put your dip your toe in that water and see if it works. Like I, um, I did a lot of different internships over time and I learned what I did and didn't like. And then I got jobs and things like so, for example, I used to work for a record label called Go Kart Records, which was like a very big punk label that sold hundreds of thousands of records in the 90s. And after about six months, I went, you know what? This is not what I want to do. I want to be a record producer and I should not be, you know, taking up this interest in it. And I think it's very important to get those things out of the way. And um, but as far as the paid thing goes, so you're talking about uh, you were referring to this article that was linked. I guess it's a absolute punk yeah. uh, contributor wrote it um, about how also we should be, you know, paying interns. And I. So I'm a socialist I love the idea of paying people for what we think they deserve in the arts and all that stuff. But there's just no money in a lot of these things. and There's never going to be, and you can't make money out of air. And while I'd love to see... That's true. Crowd, <laughs> co- yeah, <laughs> like, I'd, while I'd love to see crowdfunding to pay interns, it's not going to happen. Like, we've been down this rabbit hole. People don't want to pay for their web content. They just don't. And, you know, while there's exceptions to that rule, that is the rule, and not the exception... And I'm sorry, like, it's not happening. Like, there's just not money for interns. Like, we're in a business right now where the money is very, very thin compared to what it used to be. Like, you know, and uh, record budgets are literally one-fifth of what they were ten years ago. And um, it's just not going to happen. And the pay for the internship is experience. And that's all there is to it.
0: Yeah, and that, yeah, to me, and it's unfortunate, right? Like, of course, like, I would love to for everyone to get paid while they're interning right? or you know, theoretically whatever, sure, but it's not necessarily realistic with the with the uh, field that you're getting into in the music industry. It's just not, like you said, like the recording budget's a great example. Like there's just less money being spent. So where how can we get you money? Well, the answer is that we really can't, but this experience, if you learn how to if you're working with a producer that does want interns, right, that that may get you that client later, like you were saying before, right? So yeah, I, I definitely agree when it comes down to the paying thing, which is unfortunate, but it's just kind of like one of those realities that there's kind of no way that's ever gonna change unless someone figures out a way to Uh, have the music industry get billions of more dollars per year suddenly which is not gonna happen well that's
1: that's that's actually Um, that's actually that that maybe next podcast we get into that because i think that we are about to see more money come into the music business in the coming years but that is a different subject that we could go very long on uh some other time
0: yeah. All right. Well, for our second sponsor break, uh, thank you once again to Card Included for sponsoring off the record this week. Card Included is the only self-serve download card service around. Uh, for just a few dollars, bands and labels can uh, secure large amounts of download cards with no sign-up necessary. So you upload your music and logos to be ready to print for a PDF for you to uh, include cutout cards into record downloads or uh, you know merch purchases, so on or you know on on tour at the merch booth, et cetera. Card Included can also collect information on downloaders, so you just wanna know, hey, 500 people bought this CD in Chicago, but only 100 people bought it in Michigan. Maybe we should route our tour accordingly. Uh, So go to cardincluded.com for more, and thank you uh, once again for sponsoring Off The Record. So third topic is, very topic, more of a rant potentially, close and dear to my heart. Uh, I've wanted to write an article. I've wanted to write an article for a solid month now, maybe maybe even longer, uh, about Blink-182. This is a really non-college educated conversation as we've been <laughs> talking about for the last 40 minutes. But, uh, you know, Blink-182 is a band that I like. Your favorite band. I think they're really interesting. They're my favorite band. Uh, but I also think you know, aside from that, with heavy, heavy bias, they're also a really interesting band when it comes to their. They're one of the only five or so bands in our overarching world that have uh, the popularity they have because they're from a different era. And so, what the article I've been trying to write for one to two months has been called uh It's basically, it's time for Blink 182 to go on hiatus again. And my, uh, but I just haven't been able to write it. So, I thought it might be beneficial to sort of talk out what I've wanted to write instead. Uh, and my opinions weren't necessarily mostly on I love Tom DeLonge or Tom DeLonge doesn't look like he wants to be there. They should break up. But more about uh, like the perspective of Blink-182 when it comes down to where they currently are as like individuals or as a band in, in, in an environment and a business where they've done very well Obviously, for themselves for twenty years now, but do those sort of—I don't even want to say money grabs—that like that's what they're doing. The, the situations they're in still warrant them to sort of have to be doing this when it's kind of clear they don't necessarily want to be doing this as an overarching, as an overarching team. So all three of them, let's say. Um, so we've seen so many bands reunite this year, right? Like last year was sort of the year of breakups this year, sort of the year of reunions. Um, but in 2009 when Blink reunited, that was kind of not happening. Either these bands that are breaking up or getting back together today, like there weren't really reunions back then so much. There was like a get up kids reunion. And then a year later there was a promise ring reunion. But of course, none of those were on the size of Blink's reunion. Cause this is a band that has sold 25 million records. Um, so Jesse, when you, when you see a band reunite in general, or, you know, you've seen bunches of bands reunite over bunches of different, even decades, right. Or different segments of what's happening right now. Yeah. Suppose, maybe not decades, but like yeah. This, uh, but, but, but like the last seven, eight years. Yeah, like, or like the resurgences of, yeah. Resurgences over resurgences of different periods of time. So whether it's genre or, uh, money or festivals right like we like at this point we're sort of seeing all different motivators come out right
1: yeah i mean well all different motivators i think there's two um (laughs) one so the first big reunion of my generation was when life got lifetime got back together so you know Mm -hmm. pete weds showed all this interest in lifetime and they decided to get back together lifetime was my favorite band growing up but even their last show there was only 250 people there. And then their next show right. back, there was thousands, um, maybe 1,500. I shouldn't say thousands. But, you know, a dramatically bigger thing. Um, so the one motivation, the way this ties in, is that I saw a lot of bands go, hey, we were way bigger than Lifetime. Let's t- let's get that money. People want to see us? If they could do it, we can do it. And then the other one is, and right. this is a one I see, you know, I produce a lot of legacy acts and, uh, you know, royalty checks keep getting smaller for these bands as they get older and, uh, they go, Hey,
0: look at that mortgage. I know what I could do to help pay that. Let's call up Coachella and see if they want us. And, uh, yeah, all money now is in sizable money is in touring or merchandise. Touring. Yeah. And which are basically one and the same. Cause if you tour, you sell more,
1: more merchandise, obviously. Um, but right. Right. You know. Yes. You're not gonna. You know. Your iTunes downloads will go up, and you know, you'll sell more records and vinyl and everything too. If you reunite, and it's a way to put a little gasoline on the spark of your dwindling royalty check. And those two reasons, you see it. But like, you know, like it's very funny to me. Like there was like uh, a discussion with some of the writers your age, and like everybody's talking now about mineral, like they were like this thing and that they were this popular band and it's like dude i went to mineral shows there was 40 people there like there was no one there like brownies which was a 150 cap venue wasn't sold out that night they played when i saw them like it's it's a little ridiculous and now people you know now obviously now they're selling out shows because they've had 20 years of or you know 15 years of kids spreading the word about them tumblring their lyrics and all that thing and they're bigger than they ever were but i don't know what mineral or american football's um intentions are but i sure know i'm excited to go out with all my friends who never come out anymore because they have kids and go see bands that we didn't even you know i'm going to see black flag in like two weeks with the greg gin lineup i think they're terrible
0: um yeah, that's just kind of a fun – that's kind of just yeah, a fun Yeah, but it's night. that thing.
1: All my friends <laughs> who have children or who are college professors or Pulitzer Prize winners with really crazy jobs can't get out very often. So I'm looking forward to seeing them, and I'm looking forward to running into people I don't even know that will be there and, like, seeing somebody I haven't seen in 10, 20 years. Um, so I'm always psyched for reunions. Let everybody reunite, especially Jawbreaker. they got to reunite.
0: They're <laughs> the last one. So – so I think I figured out where I wanted to go with it. So there's two different, and there's a few, What you know, let's say, let's just say a large, probably the largest, absolutely the largest motivating factor is money. And the second is we want to tour with these people, our friends again, or make music again, and and that's fine. But, so with reunions then, like there's two different kinds. There's There are the reunions, let's say American football, where they may play under 15 shows in this reunion, right? Or you know, they may reunite for a few shows once every few years. And that's and they're not making new music. So that's like the one kind. But then the other kind is where it's like we're going to be a full force band again, right? And so in the, the biggest two examples of that are blink and fall out boy of recent, and then the smaller examples would be like braid. Braid also, you know, reunited a few years ago. They have a new album coming out in just a month or two on Top Shelf Records, right? So those are the two different kinds in my mind there the there's the there's the band like american football where it's like hey it'd be awesome to play a few shows with these guys again but i have other jobs or other music that i need to support instead so let's not make new music let's just play some shows uh but then like so where i want to get with blink is like well when is enough Mm -hmm. enough like are you like were were the original plans of being in the band 20 years ago a like to do this like the Rolling Stones until we're 70 whatever years old or like or is there actually probably an end date regardless of whether you reunited or never broke up of like when do we stop being mm-hmm. a band when do we slow down when when does it just not make sense to be in a band anymore or to do it full time or to to give fans or ourselves the illusion that we need to be doing this full time. And so that, that's to me sort of like where the, where the crux of the issue is with, with Blink right now. So they, they reunited, uh, they did, they took three year two years to put out an album uh, that was very much delayed, but they, you know, they, they did, they went on two incredibly successful U S tours in amphitheaters. It was sold out. Like, Blink-182 got a lot bigger somehow from the time when they went away to reunite it because, you know, they have multi-generations of fans, which is, you know, a very lucky thing. But so then they, they made an album. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. They toured a little more. Then they made an EP that more people liked than not liked compared to the album. And then since then, we've kind of been in this situation with them where, Last year was really great for a Blink 182 fan. I saw them five times. That's five more times than I ever thought I would see Blink 182 when I got into them because they broke up, and things seemed great. You know, they they were they did like Riot Fest on a large scale, and then they did like a you know I saw them play to 500 people at Music Hall Williamsburg. They were doing all this really cool stuff, and then I flew to LA for 24 hours because you know I have a Blink 182 (laughs) tattoo. And I saw them play my favorite album in full. And that was incredible. And there was all this talk of like, we're going to hit the studio in 90 days. Like we're going to have an, we promised to have music out this summer. We don't want to tour before we have music out. But of course you have to book touring when you're a band like that, you know, a year in advance practically. So they're headlining Reading and Leeds. But now they sort of broke these promises of, we're actually like we can't have music out in time because Tom needs to finish the Angels and Airways record or because Mark lives in September. Or not September, Mark lives in the UK right now, or you know, all this like weird commitment and it ends up like it ends up pissing off fans, obviously, because it's a very confusing thing. This is our favorite band. We want like why are they doing this if they don't want to be doing this, right? And so in the in the sense of blink, it's like these guys have yeah, like a ton of money. They're worth upwards of a hundred million dollars each. And it's a lot different from a situation where from Braid where like I think that's a little bit more out of passion because they're not gonna sell two hundred thousand copies of the record first week like Blink182 could or like Fallout Boy could, right? So I mean, so for you to so I'm just not ranting all day, do you think it's like a legitimate conversation of for any band, not even necessarily just Blink, where it's like, you know, we're doing fine. Let's say we we all get along, but, like, do we really want to be doing this band until we're 70 years old? Whether, it, whether people want us to be doing that or not. Like, are we doing this 365 days like we were for the first 10 years or not?
1: I, I mean, here's the... So a lot of my new book is about the only way you make good music is if you're passionate about it. You have to make the music you want to hear and if you make the music you think people want to hear, uh, you make terrible music. Like, I think that's like the interesting thing of like, you know, obviously a lot of people got pissed off when Self Titled came out from Boy And I actually use that as the example of the book because it really changed their sound. But they had to make the music they were passionate about. And a lot of people love Self Titled too. I, you know, personally, that's the boy
0: By the way, let me just cut in here. Look, Jesse, oh, it's oh, called Untitled. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm not enough of a nerd to know that one. Okay. For the next <laughs> edit in the book, I'm gonna need ai gonna need to be cited. I'll <laughs> um, continue. On. I think that that's their best record. Um, so um, I do too.
1: But that's because they made the music they wanted. They loved the Cure, so they wanted to do songs that sounded like the Cure and the electronic music they were making. But I think that you know I find those two post reunion records unlistenable, and I think that's the thing is. So regardless of what I think. I think a lot of this is about can you make music that you still want to hear with these people because no one enjoys when you just make music to pander to your audience. That's when bands make bad records. Like, same thing, like, you know, Radiohead's always a great example of how bad people got when they became, like, a semi-electronic band on Kid a, compared to the guitar rock of OK Computer. And, you know, the answer I always have for this is is it's just like, should you make another record? Well, can you in your place, make a record that you would want to hear with this group of people. Because that's the only way it's going to be, has a chance to be good. Not every record that's made that you make for yourself is a record that people love, but no one likes the record you make when you pander. You have to be getting your own emotional responses from music. And so my answer to this is, is okay, if you guys think you can still make something that you would love to hear, you would love to be in this world, Keep going. But if you can't, don't make a record.
0: And that's yeah, that's a tough thing for me from this uh like specific example of Blink where it's like like I was saying last year everything's kinda like everything seemed perfect. It was I was stoked as a Blink one eighty two fan, the fall was awesome. Like I was very excited that they did the ten year shows for Untitled because I was like, they're gonna go into the studio within ninety days of playing these songs that are their best songs and they just celebrated it and everyone was so excited like i was like boy they're gonna be in a headspace where music like this makes sense to them and that's what we're gonna get you know but now it's like half a year later and it's just a question of like they're publicly feuding of like with each other about in the most passive aggressive way of like well we can't really record because this dude's busy with this and that dude's busy with that and it's like well, maybe you guys should just like play Reading and Leeds every other year, do like a US tour every three years, and like give like make make it known to fans that we should not be expecting a new album from blink One A Two every year and a half. Or, you know, this applies to anything. Like if Fallout Boy just wants to play shows now because they made the record and they tore their asses off for a year, then just play shows every other year like don't don't over don't don't overdo yourself but like you know there's gonna be desire from twenty thousand people in long island to go see blink 182 every three years yes at jones beach right that's great uh it's clearly a money grab but if they're like if they're not if they're not like punching each other on the stage and they're enjoying themselves and 20,000 people that go to every show on that tour enjoying themselves. Like, I also don't have a problem with that. But to me, the problem is, and I think with any band, but obviously it's more uh, passionate to me because it's blank, is just like, don't give me the wrong impression of what you're doing. Like, you know, beyond, like, we're not dumb kit. You know, it's not like a one direction thing where their prime fan base is, you know, young young kid and that you know that's not necessarily to make fun of like one direction fans but just you know the the primary fan base of most of the music we're listening to is from 16 to Mm. people older than that right it's like we are like don't lie to us you know (laughs) like we are adults as well like just be transparent if, with what you want. If you really just want to play your music and make your money, like, I, 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 all right. You, you, like, see, I'm okay to say that.
1: this, but you know what? If bands were really transparent about what went on, like, if we get into this, you know, Google Glass world of seeing how people really live their lives, no one's going to like their music anymore. <laughs> yeah, as somebody who works beyond the scenes for the last, you know, 17, 18 years of sitting with bands while they go through their creative struggles, no one wants to see that. Don't be transparent. Just, if anything shut up in the public forum but
0: but what if you have the if you have the two options of this band's going to make music that sucks because uh they are they just clearly don't want to they're not excited about making music with each other and then that drives down the excitement of fans to go see them versus hey guys we're actually not going to make new music anymore we're just going to play shows every once in a while cuz that's our best version of having fun in blink 182 like, what, okay, that's what yeah. I mean by transparent. Like, what in – isn't that the better outcome? Then we're going to half-ass this. Uh, don't be mad at us because we still want to play shows. Yeah, and it's very clear.
1: It. I think a- a- anybody who follows this band, and I barely follow it. I, in fact, the most I followed is how much you tweet about it. Um, you are. Um, I'm great at that. Is that, you know, these, guy, these guys are not passionate about this band. They're passionate about their other projects. You know, Um and that's really the thing is – so to me, when it comes to that, I think they should hang it up and just play – tour and play shows. Get get those checks. Keep paying the mortgage. So yeah. Keep just, getting them checks. You know, I, 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 yeah. as long as they enjoy and put on a good show, who cares if it's just for the buddy? Because I just want that emotion of feeling those songs and feeling the crowd sing along to it. And while I'm never going to go to a Blink show – there's plenty of bands who I want to do that with. You know, a perfect example, I want Lifetime to play again. It's been a few years since I've seen them. I saw them probably about five times the first year they reunited too. I'd take road trips. I'd borrow my parents' car to go do it since I'm a New Yorker who doesn't have a car. And, uh, you know, it was a great time. And I'd love for a Lifetime to start touring again. But I don't know that their passion's there for it. But as long as they have passion on that stage, I'm psyched.
0: Yeah, as long as I can get up on stage and like I'm go, I'm leaving that show and it's like wow. I would like there's nothing else like there's little else I could have been doing in that period of time. That would have been anywhere near this or better, right? It's like that's great. Like I am excited to go to these shows. I don't care what you're reuniting for. Like as long as you are putting on something that's representative of the music I love to come and see your show, like please do that. Uh But if not, you should probably stay or go on hiatus again, which is unfortunately my, I think, my desire with Blink. What a sad world. I never thought it. You okay? Do you need
1: a tissue? We get, we get, we get, we get a little Evo here.
0: Like, I mean, yeah, you know, for all the nice listeners of podcasts, like, I might have teared up in 2009 when I was 15 when they reunited. Like, look, man, I loved this band. Uh, I was, you know, I would jump Boy, for joy if Jawbreaker
1: stylish. reunited. Truth be told, yeah, I, that that that, that band... would be awesome.
0: Yeah, exactly. Though it's like there's so much, there's so much pent up, yeah, wishing. Right. Then it's like you get your. That's very, that's something that's so cool about music that I can't really think of anything else unless it's like there's going to be a new Star Wars movie and maybe it won't suck. Right. Like there's so, like it's something where you have this uh, undescribable emotional attachment to that's so unique. Like yeah. you know it's, it's like love it's you can't really describe it but it's something that you wish for and you wish for there's a chance it may never come and then you get it and it's like it's actually as good as the wish yeah. sometimes you know or better and that's like that's the coolest I, thing I, about music I, I I 100% agree I
1: I have that with movies and books too but uh yeah uh, yeah, yeah art art like in general, I, you I know like it's just I saw like, uh Alejandro Yodawaski was probably the greatest art movie director of all time. He made these movies, El Topo and Holy Mountain in the 70s, that were the beginnings of making an art movie. Like, they were the craziest movies ever made in the history of movies still to this day. Like, no, he just made another movie at 82 years old that came out on Friday. And it was probably one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I fucking bawled crying. It was so fucking amazing um, at the end of it on Friday night. Like, I just lost my shit.
0: Because it was... Man, this Blink, this blink hiatus is really taking a on me, Well, also, too. you know,
1: this is the funny thing of, like, God, this guy's making, like, one of the... Probably, like, I would literally call this movie one of the 200 best, maybe even 100 best movies ever made in the history of movies that I saw on Friday night. And uh, he made it at 82. Can you imagine still being able to make good art? Like, who makes good art at 82? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly that. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You you, like know, exactly you know what we don't want to hear—the Blink One Eighty Two record made at eighty-two. Because if they're still singing about dogs farting uh, the- at eighty-two, and you know, m- mom and dad fucking, that's going to be some sad shit in the nursing home.
0: That would be, that's that would be some sad shit. That's a they're gonna have great nursing homes. Though. Spencer's nursing homes. <laughs> Um well that's Well obviously I just gave you the have? the you most wholehearted recommendation to yeah. dance of
1: reality. I think it's one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. So uh I have that and I've just been um well it's funny. I actually don't really like the mastering job on the remaster of the American football record, but I've just been re-listening mm-hmm. to the old version over and over and over again in honor of its reissue. That's just one of the best emo records ever made. I mean, that's just, that record's just amazing.
0: What is an emo record right there?
1: Yeah, What's I, I loved uh, right his tweet this uh, week when he's, uh, he said something like, oh my god, I just read the lyrics to my songs. I must be depressed. <laughs> that was, that was one oh, the, that was great. That was that one was, of the like, best, was, best was, Twitter like, moments yeah. in the history of Twitter. <laughs>
0: Uh, I would recommend Charmer by Tiger's Jaw Some mean citizen leaked it early But the record is phenomenal Uh, I had a lot of Concerns going into it just because All of the miscommunication And uh, Thoughts about members leaving And what the recording process would be like and all of that But I think it's my favorite Tiger's Jaw record There are some songs on it that Are very very sad And very very good uh so i recommend you being sad to that this summer uh and then i would recommend a uh, hundred words or less podcast uh our friend ray harkins does it uh he's had a bunch of great guests lately uh, i think it's probably relevant for a lot of people listening to this so check out some of those episodes where he has someone from tiger's jaw pretty sex or stories so far etc on uh i listened
1: to a great episode of a podcast this week that i think our listeners would love uh, Shepard Ferry, the guy who's responsible for Andres Apossi or the Obama Hope logo, uh, was on Mark Maron's WTF podcast this week. And he really discussed a lot about, I think, like our listeners would like, because it was like a lot of how punk affects good marketing and good art and like how growing up punk gets you into a mindset to make good art and do good marketing. And it was just That hour plus of conversation just flew by while I was walking the other day, and it was like one of the best podcast episodes I've ever heard in my life.
0: Thank you to everyone listening this week. Uh, You can check us out at offtherecord.fm. I'm on Twitter at ZZerillo, and Jesse is at Jesse Cannon. And thank you to our two sponsors, Limited Run and Card Included. We'll see you next week.